I hope you know that you do have Jesus Christ. If you don't know that tonight, I want you to know that he died in your place so that you could have eternal life through him. So glad to uh, have enjoyed some wonderful preaching this week, uh, wonderful in fellowship around God's word together, some wonderful music this week to lift our hearts and focus us on the Lord. Thankful for my friend, Brother Brian, coming this week and spending the last couple of days with us. And be praying for him as he goes home tomorrow. And uh, as he may have shared with some of you, he and his wife just took in a one and a two-year-old on top of the other two that they already have. So their family doubled in size, at least in children this week. So be praying for him. Also, I have some exciting news to announce. Uh, Josh and Anna had their little girl, Chloe uh, Joy, this morning at 6.53, I think. They, he sent me all the details, so let me make sure I read this correct to you. Let's see, it's 6.53 this morning, 20 and a half inches long and 8 pounds, 14 ounces, and he said, and definitely a girl. So <clears throat> we're very happy for them, and uh, I think they even put it on Facebook, so if you want to see pictures, you can go on there and see them, but uh, be praying for Anna as she rests up, and for Josh as well, and for my wife, because uh, we doubled our family today too. Almost. We went from five kids to nine kids today, so that's, it'll be an exciting slumber party at the Cover House tonight. So if you don't have a place to sleep, just come on in. We probably won't even notice that you're there. All right? You just fit in with everybody else. But Brother Brian, you come preach for us tonight what God's laid on your heart, hey. brother. Thanks wow, for Wow, that's awesome, man. Praise the Lord. And what a, what a great, uh, great night, great uh, day. And congratulations to the Tanners. The guys were telling me about their little sister. That's exciting. And uh, man, I you know I don't I, I feel like we're not doing much. He they doubled, they go to ten, we doubled, we went to four. I feel like we need to do a little bit more, you know, or something. So uh, it's been great to be here. I want you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to Romans chapter eight, if you would. And uh, just a great day, just delightful to spend some time with Brother Will and, and just fellowship with him. And you know, you guys are really blessed here and fortunate to. Uh, just have a have a leader that that has a heart for this community right here. It's exciting to see too uh, what the Lord's doing here, and and it's almost like we we were talking so much this afternoon, and we looked down at our, our watch, and he had to go preach in a chapel, so we had to kind of cut it. But uh, we'll probably be up late talking tonight. But I, I sure appreciate him, and I know uh, that you're thankful for what God's done. And and I when I pulled up here tonight, I just or the other night, I said, you know what, this is amazing. You know, just a couple years ago, there wasn't even a church here, not, not even one, and now there is, and not only there is one, there's a good one and a thriving one, and so what a, what a real, real blessing for me uh, to join you uh, for these couple of days. Now, if you're, if you're a Bible student at all, and, and I were to ask you, um, if you were to pick one verse that you thought I might share from Romans chapter 8, you would probably all say the same one. Now, uh, I'm going to share with you a verse that, that I think you all know if, if, you're, if you're a student of the Bible, if, you're, if you go to church. If not, I promise you it'll be the most encouraging verse you've ever heard in your life. It is a verse that would be way up there as one of the most popular, well-loved um, promise in all the Bible that people cling to and, and, uh, and look to. And many of you have it memorized and some of you may even be you know, a, a verse that has maybe become even like a life verse for you, like a motto. And I want to read it. You're probably already thinking it in your mind. So just look down at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The Bible says these words. For we know 
all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's all read that out loud. Can we do that together? Ready, begin. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The focus of the message tonight is going to be on that phrase, good, the word good. And I want to speak to you. The subject is this, the greater good, the greater good. I I would say before I get into the message that there's no doubt in my mind that you, you have needed this verse before. Some of you really need it right now. And if you don't, you just tuck it away because you will very soon. It may be one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible when you think about the different challenges that people go through in their lives and how God takes them and works them together for good. However, it can be a very troubling verse if you don't understand what the good is. So let's pray, and I want to talk about the greater good tonight. Lord, would you use the message in our lives tonight? Thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Will. Thank you for the team, the leadership, the folks here that serve, and uh, those that are ministering to children in the nursery tonight, and just all the different people that make this church uh, the great place that it is. Thank you uh, for how you're affecting lives. And I pray that if there's someone here tonight that first and foremost does not know Christ personally as their Lord and Savior that you would help them with that tonight. If, if there's anybody here just really going through the valley tonight, would you help them to put their trust in you and the promise that is in this verse and the person that made the promise? I pray that tonight we will leave with this verse burning in our hearts in a good way. For these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Several years ago in Europe, there was a great cathedral that was particularly known for its beautiful stained glass. The most prized stained glass in the entire building was the main large stained glass that was right behind the pulpit and the platform area. And on a a very, very intense storm one night, some debris flew into that window and destroyed the window. The next day, the janitor came in and began to pick it up and clean it up and ultimately knew that there was not much he could do with it. He ended up boarding the the hole up as best he could. He boxed up all those broken pieces that were salvageable and stuck them back in a in a storage area and kind of long forgot about them. The church was uh, was not much of a church anymore. There weren't very many people there, quite honestly. They couldn't afford to replace the beautiful stained glass, which is quite expensive. And so they just kind of stayed with the, the the board up there for months and months and months. One occasion, there was, a, there was a, uh, an artist that had heard this story and, and had admired the pictures, at least, that he had seen of this great cathedral. And so on a, near, on a trip nearby, he stopped in and asked if he could see the window. And, and the janitor was actually the person who let him. And as they talked, the janitor said, yeah, I remember the day and I remember being here cleaning it up. He said, in fact, I've, I've got several of the uh, larger pieces of the glass over here in the storage room. And the, the, the artist said, is there, is there any way that I could take a look at those? And the janitor says, sure, we haven't done with anything with them in months. And, and the, the artist went and looked in that storage room and he said, is it okay if I have this glass? And the man said, well, I, I, I can't imagine why there would be anybody that would have a problem with that. And sure enough, the artist took that glass and he, he removed it and took it home and took it to his studio. Several weeks later, he came back with a completed stained glass that would replace 
the remaining glass that was boarded up in that room. There came a day where they were going to unveil this beautiful artistry that this guy did. And on a particular Lord's Day, they did a a grand opening, so to speak, of this. And when they unveiled this brand new stained glass, it was all the pieces from the original glass that he had taken apart and reshaped them into a new stained glass window. And the stained glass this time was a picture of Jesus Christ after he had rose from the dead, ascending back to his father. And it was one of the most grand and glorious stained glass murals in all of Europe. In fact, it was far more grand and glorious than the one that was there before. On a much, much greater scale, this is exactly what Romans chapter 8, verse 28 actually means. It means that God has a way of taking everything that is broken, everything that is undone, everything that is messed up, everything that is hurtful, harmful, or whatever you want to say, all the bad experiences, tough experiences, even all the good experiences, even the things in the areas where we are struggling and we are wrong, and God has a way of using those to bring about a much greater image into our life, which is the image of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is a a verse that, if we are not careful, is a verse that we can use very flippantly sometimes in our lives. And oftentimes we use it trying to be an encouragement to people, but in the way that we use it, it actually turns out to be kind of discouraging. And this is a very challenging verse to outline. It's a, it's a verse that I've, I've chewed on and thought about a lot. And instead of trying to outline this message, so to speak, I just want to talk about the verse just two words at a time, if I could tonight. And I want you to just look with me, first of all, at these, these two words at the beginning of the verse. It says here, and we know. Now, I want you to know that this verse would be true without those words, and we know. I mean, if we just started it after those words, that God works all things together for good, that would be true. But the beauty of this verse is that it adds those words to give a certain level of comfort to those who would read it and believe it. Now, I want you to know that when we use this in a wrong way, we will sometimes use it to be a temporary fix for people. We'll sometimes say, you know, hey, you got cancer, you've got a sickness. You know, God's going to work this all out. I mean, after all, Romans 8.28 says... Or we'll say something like, yeah, yeah, you lost your job and you're at a great financial crisis. But you know what? I mean, Romans 8.28 says God's going to work this all out. The only problem with that is sometimes it doesn't work out, does it? I mean, let's just be honest about it. Sometimes the cancer doesn't go away, does it? Sometimes the sickness doesn't go away. Sometimes the job doesn't come back. Sometimes you're never going to be financially where you were before that whole thing started. Sometimes the divorce goes through. Sometimes the second one goes through. Sometimes your kids don't come back to God. Sometimes we use this verse, it's almost like God is going to temporarily uh, fix what is temporarily broken in our lives. And I want to tell you, if you believe that's what that verse means, where is the certainty with that? Where is the we know with that? The truth is, whatever this is talking about, whatever this verse is talking about, is something that you can have absolute confidence over. And it does not mean that God is necessarily going to fix something that is wrong in your life. Here, here's what it does mean. What it does mean is that God is going to take everything that is happening in our life and He is going to bring about the good for His glory. And what that good is, listen now, is the image of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes explaining that to you right now. 
I'm going to back up and for the next five minutes, I'm going to give you the fastest survey of Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 8 that you've ever heard in your entire life, okay? And it's very important that you get this. Romans chapter 8 is the end of the first section of the book of Romans. Romans 1 through Romans 8 is all about the role of Christ in our salvation and what that means for us. So let me give you a quick review. Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3 teach us that everybody equally before God is a sinner and completely undone before God. Uh, Whether you are religious, according to Romans chapter 2, or whether you are not religious at all, Romans chapter 3, every single person, religious or not, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, in John chapter number 3, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus and he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a, he was a religious Pharisee. He would have been what maybe we would equate with a rabbi or a priest in our day or a pastor. This guy was super religious. He, was, he had religious authority. And he came to Jesus and said, Master, we, we, we know that you are sent from God and you're a great teacher. You know what Jesus said to him? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this religious guy totally didn't get it. He says, well, what does that mean, be born again? Do I have to enter into my mother's womb a second time and be born a second time? And he says, no, 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 no. You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, church, listen very carefully. We were all born of water. That was our natural birth. The second birth, however, is a spiritual birth. Just like your first birth was a natural birth, you had a birthday, a day where your life began. Uh, Same thing is true spiritually. You must have a spiritual birthday, a time when your spiritual life began. But never forget this. When Jesus said that, he was talking to a religious man, I guarantee you a religious man that would have been more religious than anybody in this room. Uh, Probably had memorized the first five books of the entire Bible, uh, kept over 700 laws to a T, and even created oral traditional laws on top of that to keep him from even possibly breaking the ones that were written down in the Bible. This guy was seriously religious. And yet that same person is exactly in the same position that the woman in John chapter 8 was. In John chapter 8, there was a woman who was caught in adultery. And this is after a woman that was found in John chapter 4 who had been married five times and was living with somebody that she wasn't even married to. Whether you were a religious person that basically has a very good reputation or whether you are a non-religious person has never darkened the door of a church one day in your life and has a pretty ugly track record behind you that shows that really life hasn't gone so well, both parties equally are sinners before God. And that's very important for everybody to understand. It doesn't matter how how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how good you try to be. You know, going to church doesn't make a person a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. The fact that I'm here, the fact that I go to church, the fact that I have religious lingo, the fact that I do religious things doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a Christian. What makes me a Christian is found in Romans chapter 4 and 5. See, in Romans chapter 4 and 5, it tells us that, yes, everybody is a sinner before God, whether you're religious or not. And everybody comes to God the same way, whether you are religious or not. You see, in Romans chapter 4, the Jews had to come to God by faith, and that goes all the way back to Abraham. But in Romans chapter 5, everybody comes to God through Jesus because all of us are sinners because of Adam and Eve's sin against God. And folks, that means whether you are a church member or not, a church goer or not, a good person or not, the only way that a person comes to faith in God The only way that a person enters into a relationship with God and therefore knows that they're on their way to heaven is simply because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again the third day. 
and He is the Son of God, and He is the absolute only way to heaven. That's why at the end of chapter, Romans chapter 5, he says, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of a law. So nothing that I can do can get me to heaven. Nothing that I can do can earn me a relationship with God. But only Jesus Christ and what he did for me secures me a relationship with God. So then we come to Romans chapter 6 through 8. And Romans chapter 6 through 8 teach us that now that we are saved, we are all sanctified the same way. That is, we are all made in the likeness of Christ the same way. Did you know that the goal of your life as a Christian is to be more like Jesus Christ? In fact, if you were to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he says this. He says, he, says um, all, he works all things together for good, those that love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. And then he said, look at these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says in verse number 29... For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to, did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So everybody that is a Christian is predestined. It means God saw ahead of time that he was going to transform your life day by day, little by little, into the image of Christ. Now ultimately that happens when we go to heaven one day and we are glorified. But Romans 6, 7, and 8 teach us about the process between the here and the there. And the here is this. Man, thank the Lord that now that we are saved, Romans 6 teaches us that we have Jesus Christ. We are in union with Him. And therefore, the power of sin in our life has been completely broken. And we can now live for the Lord in a way we could never live before we became Christians. Romans chapter 7 teaches us that although we are Christians, we are still going to struggle. Does anybody else identify with that? I mean, Romans 7 says, and by the way, in Romans 7, there are 23 times the word I or me is used in Romans 7, and one time the word Holy Spirit is used. When you come to Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 20 times, and a personal pronoun is only mentioned once. Isn't that interesting? You see, in Romans 7, if you do not try to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are going to struggle in the Christian life. But in Romans chapter 8, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to follow Christ. And watch this one day, because we are saved, He is going to take us to be with Him forever. And there, we are ultimately going to be with Christ. The culmination of all of it, church, the culmination of all of it is that one day we are going to be like Christ. And here it is. That is the greater good. Here's what you can know. When you are sick and struggling and going through a hard time, I cannot stand up here and guarantee you that it's all going to get better. But here's what I can do. I can guarantee you that God is working in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. And if that is where your heart is and that's what you're longing for, listen very carefully, then you can take this verse with confidence that no matter if it's bad or good, here's what I know. I know that one day God is going to use this to make me more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And even if I suffer, and even if what I'm going through takes me to the grave, that's okay. Because I'm going to be with Jesus when that happens. And that is the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. You see, God's good for us is to be like Jesus Christ. Now watch this. We know. Next two words. All things. All Thanks. Back up to Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 real quick. Go to Romans 8, skip up back to about verse 18. Watch this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who, had, who has subjected the same in hope. But the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You might want to circle those verses in your Bible and just maybe even make a note beside of them. You can even write these words. This is why we suffer. We suffer in this world because we live in a broken world. The world is fundamentally broken. And you want to know how the world became fundamentally broken? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. There was a curse of sin that was brought into this earth. And listen, that curse has affected everything in the world. And one of the Christmas songs talks about how that, how that, how that his message is going to go so far as the curse can be found. And let me tell you how far the curse goes. It goes to every inch, every corner of this world. And listen, every tragedy, every brokenness, every sorrow, every hardship, every difficult thing that happens in our world can be attributed back to the brokenness that is in this world because this world has turned its back on God. Now, folks, listen to this. Here's what Romans 8 is teaching us, though. Romans 8 is teaching us that as Christians, we look at suffering differently. We look at suffering and know that God, compared to what we are going to experience in glory one day, the suffering is minimal. The suffering is temporary. We get to look forward to a day where we get to spend with God forever and eternity. And here's what we know now. Even when we do suffer, even when we do go through hardship, here's the guarantee that Romans 8.28 gives us. That God is taking everything, the good, the bad, the difficult, the brokenness, and He is using it in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. You know what's an amazing thought though? It's not just the suffering. It's even our own mistakes and guilt. And sometimes I think we, we, we leave this out. Sometimes we look at things, what we do, that are mistakes, sins, failures. It's almost like when we mess up and we fail God, we almost act like all of a sudden we became God. Because our mistakes and failures, it was almost like we stopped God from being God. But can I tell you folks this? And, and by the way, I, look, I, I don't even have to know you. I don't know four people's names probably in this room. That's probably a stretch. Maybe 10. I don't probably know 10 people's names in this room. And I don't know you. I don't know your story. And here's the reality. I probably won't. I mean, I may come here once every, uh, every once in a while and speak to you and, and, and meet up with your pastor. That's fine. But I, I don't know you, but I know this. I know this. Every single person in this room has made terrible mistakes in their life. Everybody. Everybody in this room has caused a great amount of harm, difficulty on yourself, on your family, on other people. You've experienced it. You've lived through it. And you know, sometimes I've seen people like that. I mean, they almost give up on life. Like, what am I going to do now? I did this. Is there any hope for me? Can I get past this? And I want to tell you, this verse says, all things work together for good. I heard this story years ago, and it is absolutely fascinating. I want you to listen in for just a minute. There was a missionary group of Bible translators in Papua New Guinea. Uh, uh, they are called the Wycliffe Bible Translators. This happened back, I believe it was in the 70s. Missionary Doug Hunt was a missionary pilot that took these Bible translators from their missionary compound in Papua New Guinea and flew them out to villages to do missionary work. On one occasion, he was taking seven Bible translators into the interior in an airplane. They had just made manuscripts of some passages of the Scripture, uh, and they were taking this brand new passage of Scripture to this tribe to share the gospel with them. 
When they got about 700 feet off of the runway, he looked off to his right and noticed that the right engine had exploded and had caught fire. They tried to elevate still, but within just minutes, within just minutes, the second engine exploded. And within seconds, that plane crashed into the jungle and all eight missionaries died. He was in radio contact with a man that was there at the compound. And as he was making radio contact with the man at the compound, he knew that he had to tell these people what had happened. In fact, it was Sunday. And the missionary who was on the radio frequency got the message. He received the message. He started walking across the field to the place where everybody was singing and worshiping on Sunday morning. He was walking in the back of that church auditorium where these people's wives, children, friends, colleagues were there serving. And he had to get up on that platform, stop the service, and tell these people what had happened. And you can imagine, you can imagine the chaos that erupted. As he got to the back of the auditorium after making this announcement, of course the service was over, he gets to the back and a man came out of the back pew and he was weeping and he grabbed a hold of that missionary that gave the announcement and he was crying. He couldn't get himself together. Finally, he, when he could get words out, he said, it was my fault. He was a mechanic on the airplane. He said, just the other day, I was working on the airplane. He said, I was putting back some bolts on the engine and I had hand tightened them and I was going for my wrench and somebody asked me a question. And as soon as, as, soon as I heard the news, I realized, I realized that that threw me off and mentally I got off and I never took that wrench and tightened those bolts down. And you know what's amazing? Here's what's amazing. After they did their investigative report, they were right. It was his fault. Eight caskets at a funeral in front of friends and family weeping with that man nearly unable to contain himself later said he felt like his heart was going to explode. He thought he was going to go crazy. But it was at the end of the funeral service that one of the missionary wives walked up to him, hugged his neck and said, I want you to know that I do not hold this against you. I love you. And she quoted Romans 8, 28 to the missionary. And he said, you know what? It did not fix me instantaneously, but time did go on. And as time went on, healing of my heart continued. And he said, over the course of time, they wrote, they wrote a biography of our missionary group. And he said, I think it's chapter 7 of this missionary story was all about the airplane accident. And he said, my story was in there as the one who was at fault. And he said, you know what was amazing? What was amazing is we began to sell these books and people began to buy these books. He said, I could not believe the letters, the encouragement that came in. He said, people were not attracted to the story at whole. What people were most attracted to about the book was the story about my mistake. And he said, if it were not, for the grace of God, and it were not for the people that in my life, in Papua New Guinea, that came around me, and if it were not for the encouragement of Romans 8.28, I would have been the ninth casualty of the airplane accident. Church, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying tonight. I hope you're getting it. I hope you feel the love of Christ for you tonight to say that it doesn't matter whose fault it was. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter what extent it went. I am telling you that God can even use the worst of us to bring out His image in our lives because He is God alone. All things.
Work together. Work together. What does that mean, they work together? Well, if you study this passage closely, it's amazing how God works it together. Here's how God works. God takes your circumstance, whatever it is, and He weaves it together. That's what that phrase means, works together. It's like, it's like, it's like crocheting a, a, a taking thread and crocheting it into a, a, a blanket or, or some kind of, of clothing. And, and He's saying God takes that mistake of ours or whatever it is, and He has the ability to take it and He unites it together with His working and brings about the product that, we, that He desires in our life. In fact, the word working together, listen to this, it is the Greek word that is synergy. It literally means that two things working together powerfully bring about a better product than those two things individually on their own. Now, when you read Romans 8, beginning at verse number 26, you see three dynamics here that I'm going to go through really quickly. The first thing that you see in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, how does God work together for our good? He does it by this way. The Holy Spirit prays for us. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Can I stop there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been right there in the middle of that verse? Where you didn't know what to pray or what to say? That you were, did you know in the Old Testament story of Moses that there is a story where Moses is so broken by his circumstances, he goes before God and there's not even, he doesn't get a word out. And in your Bible, probably the word that is translated that silence is a line? Just a line. Oh, listen, church, there are times, and if you look, if you're not been there, you probably just haven't been, been alive long enough to, to experience a moment where it was so crushing, so hard, so difficult, so heartrending that you could not even pray. Here's good news. God doesn't need you to pray. He doesn't need your big flowery words when you pray because here's what the Bible says. He says, when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit is already praying for you. And then watch this. Look at, look at how he does it with groanings. That can't, when you're groaning, he's groaning with you. Y'all ain't hearing me tonight. Look, when you're broken, have you ever done something like that? Just go, oh, that, that groan, that grunt, that sigh. Here's what the Bible says. When you're sighing, he's sighing with you. When you're groaning, he's groaning with you. When you're struggling, he's struggling with you. Thanks be to God for that tonight. Thanks be to God that when you don't know what to say or do, the Holy Spirit comes right alongside of you and prays with you and even groans with you. He feels what you feel. He knows what you're going through. And He comes right alongside of you and prays with you. But that's not all. Not only does the Holy Spirit pray for us, the second thing is the Father stands for us. And you look now at verse number 29 and 30 where he talks about how that the purpose, destination of our lives is to be like Christ. But now look what look happens in verse, verse 31. This is great. Watch this. Uh, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Can I just say that? I don't know who you are tonight. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you're going through. But I want to stand here and tell you one thing that I can say with confidence. God is for you. He is standing for you. He is with you. He is working all things together. And look at this. Look at this next verse. He, how do you know that? How do you know that God is for me? Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You want to know how you can know God is for you? Look at the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the once for all proof that God is for you. If God wasn't for you, this would have never happened. And since this happened... 
Here's the question. If God did that for you, if God gave His only Son for you, there's nothing He won't do for you. And then look at the next verse. This gets even better. Who's going to lay uh, any charge? In verse 33, to God's elect. It is God that justifies. Listen, folks. Listen, I am sure if I could lose my salvation, I would. If there were any way that charges against me could stand, they would stand. Listen, if any accusations could be brought up in court before God about me, they would go there. But here's what this verse says. There's not even anybody that can bring up a charge to God for me. You want to know why? Because I have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when you have somebody, Satan, and by the way, read the book of Job. You don't think you've got somebody that's trying to make accusations against you? And guess what? Everything he says about you is true. You don't think Satan knows who you are, what you've done, and you don't think he'd like to squeak that right to God and say, he's no good, he's not worth anything. Look at their marriage, look at their life, look at their kids, they're a wreck. And you know what Jesus does? He stands as my attorney in front of that and says, you know what, that's good, you're right, but I have him covered. Nothing, nothing, no one can lay a charge to God's elect. It is God that justifies. It is God that condemns. He says this now. Who can condemn you? Nobody. My goodness, there are some of you in this room. I guarantee there are people in this room that struggle with the assurance of your salvation. Can I just help you tonight? You shouldn't. Because nobody can condemn you. And that leads Paul into this other statement. Look, look at what he says now at, at verse number uh, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now I'm going to stop right there and introduce you to the third thing. So number one, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Number two, the Father stands for us. Number three, the, the Son of God loves us eternally. Church, I am here to tell you that we are getting ready to read, I believe, the greatest verses in all the Bible. And here's what they say. They say that nothing in the world, no spirit, no person, no circumstance can ever separate you from the love of God. Is that the greatest news you've heard all day? He says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? It is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that love us. Watch this. I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just say it like this if I could. He's got you covered. He's got you covered. And there should be nothing more encouraging in all the world to know that those things are working together. Watch it. For good. Now we've explained that already. Those are the things God is doing to bring about the good. So the question that you have to face tonight is this. Is that good good enough for you? You see, sometimes we're mistaken when we think that, the, that God's more interested in our comfort than He is our Christ-likeness. And sometimes when we're praying through struggles and difficulties in our life, what we are praying for is relief at any cost. It's quite the contrary to what Fanny Crosby said when she talked about the hymns that she wrote at the end of her life. And for those of you who don't know, she was a, a girl that was blinded from a, from a very young, an infant, if I understand it correctly. A doctor prescribed medicine for her eyes that was the wrong kind of medicine and her eyes were destroyed permanently. She wrote 5,000 or more songs and she was, a, she was just a lyric writer. She wasn't a musician. She was like a poet. 
And she was later asked in her life if she could go back, would she, would she prefer to be uh, able to see? She said, no way. She said, I fear that if I would have been able to see all my life, I would have been distracted by too many beautiful things that would have kept me back from writing. That's Romans 8, 28. That's somebody that gets it. That's somebody whose eyesight was not more important to her than the image of Christ in her life. Here's a woman that realized that what God was doing in her was working in her for good. For good. Now I'm going to close with this. Watch this. To those, to those who are loving God, who are the called according to His purpose. Now, I want you to stop, look up here real quick. I want to teach you something because we got to be careful. We got to be really careful here. I've heard this verse, I've heard it. I've heard people teach this verse that it means people have to really love God. And if things are going wrong in your life, maybe you just aren't loving God enough. Listen, listen, that is a huge fallacy. Notice between these phrases, who, who love God, who are the called, there's no and. They're the one and the same. Okay, those that love God, that's the human perspective of people that know Christ as Savior. If you know Christ as your Savior, you do love Him. Are you kidding me? Is there any other way to respond to Him? The love of Christ does constrain us. First John describes it like that. We are people that love God. And shouldn't we love God? Of course we do. But that's the human perspective of who we are. The heavenly perspective of who we are is we are the called. We are His chosen ones. So they're one and the same. This is not a promise, get this, for elite Christians. This is a promise for every Christian. Now let me tell you who it's not a promise for. People that don't know Christ as their Savior. Because if you don't know Christ as your Savior, the whole purpose of this verse doesn't even make sense. Because if you're not a Christian, God is not working in you to make you more like Jesus Christ. So this whole verse just completely comes unraveled at the end. And can I implore you? I don't know that there's a greater promise in all the Bible. I really don't. And if you're not a Christian in this room, I hate to tell you this, but this verse is not yours to claim. It is for those who love God, for those who are the called according to His purpose. Those people that know Christ as their Savior. So I want to ask you this. Do you know that? Can you say that? Can, can you with confidence today say, I have personally received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I realize, I know, I know. He's the only way that I could ever, ever get to heaven. And I have asked Him and called upon Him. And, and con, I have confessed Him as my Lord and Savior. And therefore, because of that, I know this is for me. If not, tonight you can do that. Amen. And you can experience the promise of Romans 8.28. I recently had the privilege of going to the Billy Graham Library. I've gone there often. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's, a, it's an amazing piece of history. If you're, if you're a religious historian, this is just a phenomenal place. Billy Graham, probably without any argumentation at all, was the most influential preacher of the 1900s. <clears throat> a phenomenal gospel preacher. And when you go to this library and this exhibit, I mean, it's, it's just all about Jesus, every room. It's, it's fascinating. This was the first time I had gone since Billy Graham had died. And so this time I went, I was really curious to go to the gravesite and just visit the tombstone and found out where it was and, and went there. Of course, he's buried beside his wife. And to my surprise, I was not caught up so much in his grave marker as I was his wife's. 
Billy Graham's great marker simply says this, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is awesome. But Ruth says this, construction completed. Thank you for your patience. And boy, was she ever right. Because that day where she took her last breath in this life, she took her first breath in eternal life. And all that work that God did in transforming her into image was brought to full fruition. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, she was brought into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's what you get to look forward to if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. May God be praised for his word. Let's pray tonight if we could. Tonight, can I ask you just a couple quick questions of re- just for response, for your own benefit, for your own life before God? There's nothing magical about me. I can't really do anything for you. All, I'm just, all I am is the delivery boy. God is the author. I want to ask you a couple questions. Number one, is there anybody here who would say, Preacher, I am not certain that I have a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. I just don't know. And I want, I'd like to know. I'd be interested to know more about it. But I, I can just say I don't know. But here's what I would at least appreciate. I'd appreciate, preacher, if you would breathe a word of prayer for me because I would like to know that I had a personal relationship with Christ. And it would mean the world to me, preacher, if you'd have a word of prayer for me. Is there anybody like that? Would you just quietly slip up your hand just high enough that I can see it and you can lower it right back down. I won't embarrass you, I won't call you out, I won't sing to you out at all. If I could pray for you, I'd love to know who you might be. Anybody like that at all? Preacher, just have a word of prayer for me. I'd, I'd really like to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you would say, Preacher, I know that I am a Christian, no doubt about it. But I needed Romans 8, 28 tonight. I needed it in my life. Would you hold your hand up? Could I pray for you? God bless your heart. Amen. That's great, man. Could we stand for a closing time of prayer? Here, here at Hit or Rise Baptist Church, we, at the end of the services, we give people opportunities to come and pray. You don't have to. It's not something we force upon you, but we want to give you the opportunity to. Maybe you would like some prayer with the preacher here. Um, It's a good opportunity to pray one for another at our church every service before and after we have corporate prayer. I just think it's important, folks. You know, you may not not really have needed the message as much as maybe somebody else did, but if you see somebody come and maybe they need, maybe they have a need. Maybe you'd concern yourself enough for them to pray with them. Maybe you have a real need in your life. What you need to do is you need to get here tonight and just claim the promise of Romans 8, 28. So I'm going to pray as I pray. I'm just going to invite you to come. As soon as I begin uh, praying, uh, Mrs. Cover will play a song on the piano. When she does, just step out and just come. Just pray. It's okay. It's a good thing to do. May God have his way. Lord, would you use the message now in our lives. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth of Romans 8, 28. May we practice it. May we 
appropriate our faith in it tonight for Jesus' sake. And I prayed in his name. Amen. I want to encourage you to come. A couple folks are here praying. If you want to come, just, just come right now. Spend some time in prayer. You can do that at your seat, of course. Absolutely. Uh, we just want you to receive the message that God had for you, whatever that might be. Whatever God might be speaking to you about. You know, I would encourage you. If God's dialed in on your heart in any way at all, maybe you would just respond. You know, if, if, if your cell phone rang today and you had absolute certainty that it was God calling, you'd probably answer. You'd probably answer. I know I would. And that's what happens in preaching. In preaching, God dials up our number. When God dials up our number, it's, it's really important that we respond. There are folks here praying. You can join them. You can, again, pray in your seat. And I'm not going to say much else about it, but let's respond as God would have us.